are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Sarah West. Sarah is a professor and professional musician. We'll be right back with Sarah, but first let's talk about down. Uh, And in that I mean being down. Most weeks, as you guys know, I have an article I share or something related to how I'm doing or what I'm doing. Uh, Not not this week. I'm just down. I, I don't, I think hormones are involved. My brain's a little scattered. I can't get things done. My list to do way outweighs what I'm capable of doing. And I've been, I don't know, reaching out to people, actually. I sent everybody a message saying, feeling a little blue, working late a lot, and working till like nine, three or four days a week. And I just feel like I don't have friends, which obviously is not true. And so I sent out a message saying, I want to do a coffee club. Let's meet in the morning. Cause I'm like, who's, I was thinking, who could I call? People work. <laughs> I work, but it's, I'm not, I don't have to be in class until one. And I only have office hours a couple days a week in the mornings. And so I sent out a message and all these people got back, even people who couldn't do the days that I could do. And that, that felt really nice. We got together on Friday and it was just nice. It was just it's, I've been thinking about like how my depression functions and I went to a get together last night. Also, I followed up for that and I feel happy even like in general, I don't feel unhappy right now. I feel like everything in my life is great and I feel happy when I'm seeing people and with my friends and then I go home and I feel like I never want to leave the house again. And then I, I, I think that's probably not healthy. A friend calls and I say, no, I don't want to do it. No, no, I actually say, yes, I'll come. And I go and I feel happy and I'm having a nice time. And, and then I go home and then I never want to leave the house again. And I don't want to ever do anything again. So it's really weird because I, I feel like there's no way for anyone to know I'm depressed unless I send an email, you know, because it's not apparent. I don't even feel unhappy. When I'm in that state where I don't want to do anything and go anywhere and see anyone, I don't feel unhappy, but it's like a fog rolls in and just kind of coats everything and takes away any impetus to do or be anything. But it's not an, it's not sad. It's certainly nothing even approaching suicide or, or misery. It's simply this thing. It like I feel like it just rolls in and then just hangs out waiting for me to be alone. That's it. It's just waiting for me to be alone. And as soon as I'm alone, I never want to do anything again. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to get up. I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to call anybody back. It's it's like a fog because I can't get, I can't clear it away, but I can clear it away if I leave my house and go see some people. But that's the stumbling block. Like I'm stuck with like, I don't want to do that. I just, just, I can't even wrap my head around what's, what that is. I know it's called depression and I know it's how I experience my depression, but when I'm in it, 
it seems so stupid. It's like, I'm, I had a great time last night. And then when I wake up this morning, I don't want you to come over and talk to me. I don't want to do this show. I don't want to do my dishes. I don't want to sweep my pork. I just, it's weird. I, for years, I didn't recognize that that could possibly be depression because I thought depression had something to, to do with feeling sad. And I do feel sad. I mean, there are plenty of times I feel sad, but it's unrelated to my experience of depression. And I always feel like a phony. I'm like, well, how can you have depression? You're having such a good time. <laughs> it, seems, it just seems dumb. It just seems mysterious. It's a mysterious thing. It feels like a supernatural force. And I'm kind of tired of it. And I'm super bored with it. And it's not, it's not helping me with anything. And for the last couple of years with this show, I actually feel like, you know, my depression does feel sort of helpful. There are good things about it. But right now I don't, I don't have any compassion for that. I'm like, no, it's just stupid. So anyway, that's where I'm with things. For all of you at home who are feeling stupid like me, welcome. I love you. Glad you listened to the show. Today we have with us in studio, Sarah West. Sarah is a professor and professional musician. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thank you. So what do you want to share with everybody? What's going on in your world? I am I'm currently teaching, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm working with a band, so I'm able to express myself musically. We're getting ready to start performing out pretty soon. I just had a wonderful birthday with my six-year-old daughter, which was very beautiful, and I'm watching her grow, and it's exciting and, and frightening all at the same time. I'm finishing my doctorate. I'm excited about that. I'm also scared that I won't get it done because mm. I'm my own worst enemy. I think also, just on what you had mentioned on what you had mentioned about the idea of fog and this idea of this concept of being sort of stuck and isolationist or almost maybe agoraphobic, it really resonates with me. I have the exact same issues where I, I have a lot of great things going on. I'd be way more depressed if I didn't have all these terrific things happening. However, I get overwhelmed. I overwhelm myself. And so recently I've been fighting this foggy, sticky, gooey feeling where it's like I'm in taffy and not the delicious kind. It's more kind of like I was trying to explain it to my therapist. It's not like you're in caramel or something lovely like that. You're trapped in, in, in it's, it's literally like you were at Coachella and 10 porta potties just tipped over and you're covered in blue fecal matter and just trying to get through it and trudge through it one foot at a time. There's a lot of psychosomatic things that go on for me. For example, I feel a lack of energy. I feel that just doing simple things like the dishes, making sure that my house is in order so that I can then think clearly because I can't think clearly with clutter everywhere. I can get so wrapped up in, oh, I have to do, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that, that I end up um, in a state where I can't do anything because I have a million to-do lists 
and where do I begin? Well, I can't do my work until I've actually cleaned my home. Well, I can't clean my home because I don't want to look at those dishes right now. Then I get phone calls from people and I start working on other projects that aren't really related to what I should prioritize. So it's, it's difficult to prioritize. It's difficult to get through that mire and that muck. But I do also find that when I force myself out to be with friends that I do feel better, I'm glad that I went, but then when I go home, it's just me. My daughter doesn't live with me at the moment because of a custody battle that's going on. I'm hoping and very optimistic that she's going to be back with me soon. A major reason why she is not with me is because my soon-to-be ex-husband is using my major depressive disorder against me in court Mm -hmm. and saying that that makes me an unfit parent. So I've had to not only fight for my good name, but also for my mental health. And I've been discriminated against, not by the judge, thank goodness, but by opposing counsel. So I've had to really fight a nasty lawyer who decided to go all out and go uh, subpoena my medical records, ask me to get a psychological evaluation, which I did. And when all of these things came up as she's an okay person, she's just depressed and she's managing it with medication and therapy, that was still stigmatizing. The judge was okay with everything that I had done, was happy. It's a wait and see period right now that's almost over. And I'm very grateful because I only see my daughter Saturdays. And so yesterday we had a beautiful day. It was all about her. And we just had a wonderful time, but I hear all these disturbing stories of what's going on where she's living, which is with her grandmother, because my husband had to move back in with his mom in order to support himself because I was no longer supporting him. And it's very depressing when you're in a relationship with a person who doesn't pick up the extra weight and doesn't care about your depression they say things to you like, well, this is for your shrink. This isn't for your husband to hear. And then when you're single and you've gotten out of that, and then you are like in my situation and you go home after dropping off your daughter and you have to give her back. It's like a limb has been chopped off. I I can't even really describe it in words exactly, but the profound loss I feel on the highway as I am driving back into Tucson because she doesn't even live in town. It's despair. It's utter despair. I have had to pull off the road a couple of times, put my hazards on and just weep because I didn't know what else to do. But once I did weep, I felt so much better. And so sometimes I think that 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 feeling of being stuck can be alleviated by grief, the grieving process, and perhaps the confusion and the, I don't know what to do first and all of that is actually just avoiding the, the inevitable, which is that we must grieve when we have to allow ourselves that. And I think I'm afraid sometimes to cry because it hurts. It hurts a lot. 
And yet once it comes and that pain comes, it's almost like cleaning out a wound. You know, then I can clean it out, pour some antiseptic on it, put a bandage on it, and then I can move on because I've released some of that negativity and pain and I do feel better. But it doesn't always come that way. Sometimes I carry it with me. And when I go home, it's just me. It's just me and my cat. And I'm like, God damn it. I, I knew, okay, I'm an artist. I'm kind of on the lefty side of things. I'm an eccentric. I used to joke about becoming Alice B. Toklas. And, you know, now I am a 40-year-old cat woman. I have a cat and some plants. And, and I listen to a, a lot of 1950s music. And, and, and this is okay. This is okay. But when it's me with me in my head, that can be the most terrifying place to be. The thing that I'm working on right now is what are methods that I can use to try and snap myself out of this state and get that foot in front of the other and get myself into a thought process that's healthier. And sometimes it is just literally walking away from all of it, getting outside my house, but knowing that when I come back, there's one thing I'm going to do. And then if I can get that one thing done, that's okay. If I could just manage that one thing, whether it's cleaning a file out and, and reorganizing it, and then I can do something else a little bit later. That really alleviates a lot of pressure. And also, sometimes it's best, even though I love music, it's best to not listen. It's best to be comfortable with the silence. One of my favorite musical pieces is by John Cale, 4.33, and it's four minutes and 33 seconds of silence in, with an orchestra where they just sit there. And the piece is actually the sounds that you hear in the orchestral theater. And you're sitting there listening to each other, coughing, and being quiet, and you realize that you are the music and that the silence is the music, and that can be deafening. It, it can actually be deafening, the silence. So silence uh, also frightens me because I'm such a talker. I love to talk, 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 talk. And yet, am I really saying anything of value? Am I saying what I really feel? Or am I just talking to hear myself talk? Because I'm so afraid of the silence. So those are all things I've been thinking about lately. Just how do I manage my own mind before it starts managing me? Before my emotions rule me, how do I get to a place where I can be at peace and move forward? And it is not easy. It is not. I will journal sometimes and that will help. I look at these self-help books and sometimes I just laugh to myself, you know, because these things are things I would, that would actually make me probably go out and commit some kind of violent act like quilting or, I mean, give me a break. I'm For quilters out there, I'm sorry, all my best to you. But I, I just, I can't imagine doing something like needlepoint or crochet or something where 
I would be sitting there with my hands just whittling away. Crafting is really just, for me, not helpful. However, when I go to see my therapist, what do I end up doing? Crafting. I do lots of art therapy. And I'm like, really? I have to make a finger labyrinth? Are you kidding me? And then when it's done, I'm like, I made a finger labyrinth. It's amazing. And I love it. So it's interesting how we think we know what's best for us, but we don't always. And so it's so good to have that outside perspective and have people who can help us to pull us out and remind us that we need to be out of our comfort zone because that comfort zone is a dangerous place. It's not actually a comfort zone at all. It can be a war zone. Your couch could actually be a war zone. Your bed, if you're laying there all day, rolling around, worrying about stuff, can be a war zone. It's far better to push yourself out of that so-called comfort zone and into the light, the blinding light of the day or the loneliness of the night and to just be in it and realize, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. Now, what can I do that's something very small, something small, that I can accomplish now that I feel like doing. And there's always something that will come. I, I sometimes have to sit quietly and think about it and I meditate on it um, and I wait for it to come and it pops into my mind and I say, okay, I can do this. And once I complete that, then I say, all right, now do I feel like doing something else or do I need a break? And I typically will go and have a cigarette break because right now I'm having an affair with Mr. Coffee and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> they're my, they're my two favorite people. <laughs> and eventually I, I, I will, I, I will get rid of those, uh, those addictions because I do have an addictive personality. I'm very uh, obsessive compulsive. And that can also be a huge trap for me because nothing is ever perfect enough. So the striving for perfection can be such a tremendous waste of time and also stress me out beyond belief where I could be triggered to act out in a way that is unhealthy for myself to say something to a loved one that I don't mean, or maybe I do mean, but shouldn't have said. So I think really it's, I'm, I'm in a tremendous period of growth right now. You know, I, I, I'm about to turn 41, so I'm just ending my first year of my 40s. And I'm very proud of myself for the most part because I've really changed. I'm not as big of a jerk as I used to be. I was the most jaded, self-centered, selfish human being, and yet I felt like such a victim in my 20s and into my 30s even. Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? What did I do? I'm such a giving person. I'm so loving. And I didn't realize that I was actually being incredibly selfish and narcissistic by being so selfless in my mind. So now I am actually working more on myself, but in turn, I'm able to love others so much more and I'm able to free myself from this fog 
but it is dangerous to just sit. It's one thing to meditate. It's one thing to be contemplative, but it's another thing to abuse and flog oneself with this overwhelming sense of grief and despair. And so my message would be to anyone who's listening, it's okay to, to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to not want to do stuff. And it's okay to say no. But sometimes it's not okay to say no. You really need to, I think it's not I need to. I've changed my language or I'm trying to change my language. I choose to. I choose to go out even though I don't feel like it. I choose to get up and do the dishes because I like the bubbles. There's things that I can find in any task that is pleasurable. I choose to do this today. Not I have to, or I need to, or I gotta. I choose to. So for anybody that is feeling this way, you're not alone. Everything that Laura has said really, really did resonate with me. And I feel better as a result that I chose to come today. Well, thank you so much for your story. That was lovely. Thank you. And I related to a lot of things in your story as well. The perfectionism, the compulsions. We were talking before we came on air here about just drinking, but I have all these alcoholics in my family and in my background, like even the family Bible, addicted to drink, another generation back, addicted to drink, you know? And I don't have that, but I have lots of other compulsive things. They're compulsive thoughts usually, rather than compulsive actions. I think OCD, whatever I have is very mild, but it can come out in all these different ways, just like depression. And mine is this perfectionism of things. And then with my artwork, it's actually a blessing to be compulsive because I get into this, like, gotta, 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 you know, and I work and work and work on something where a normal person would have stopped four hours ago. Right. So, like, it's really useful. Yes. I feel like it's my secret power sometimes. It's your secret power. But it's not healthy always. Yeah. I agree. I think that a lot of artists, myself included, the perfectionism is what really brings so much to our work in terms of, well, we know how to do what we're doing and we do it well. However, is it ever going to be perfect enough? When I've done sound recording in the past, I've sat and listened to a loop for like four hours. And then I didn't know what I was listening to anymore. I, I couldn't even hear it. Yeah. So I had to walk away from it completely, maybe for a couple of days, because I had gone completely doodah. Yeah. I walked into this very blindly. I've been thinking a lot about this show and I'm like, I'm ready to quit. I'm tired. And it's not, it's partly the editing. It's like three hours of editing for every half hour show, which I think is pretty good. Cause I have let go of just like, just get it, get it as good as you can call it good, put it out in the world. And it's not great sound. It's never great sound on this show. Like I, I don't know what I'm doing and I haven't studied it. Total truth here, but it's, but I love doing the show. And then sometimes now I listen to other people's podcasts and stuff and I'm like, oh, their sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like, 
like, I'm glad that I'm not them. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the thing too, is that it's really, what's most important is the message. If we go back to McLuhan, like the medium is the message. Yes. It really is about what the context is and to get, to get over, overly perfectionistic about things like if there's a hiss here or a pop there, people are paying attention to the content. Right. When my students write a paper, I want their grammar to be college level. I want for them to write in a certain style that is of a college level. However, some of them, many of them come out of our school systems so ill-prepared and then they get into my class and they're like, I can't write a college level paper yet. And I say, you know what? That's okay. Can you tell me what's relevant in what I'm asking you to do? And can you do it in a way where you can express it, write about it? If you can do that, I don't really care about your grammar and your usage as much as I do about, did you put yourself into it the best that you could? And really, that's a learning moment. Whereas if I was just saying, well, you didn't dot your I's and cross your T's, you didn't cite this work properly. Now, I will mention it, but I might not mark them down for it. And I think that that really helps me because I'm saying to them, we work towards perfection and I wish I could follow my own advice. Right. <laughs> Well, we just have a couple minutes here, but the last thing I wanted to talk about was just the grief, so much loss. I relate to that too. It never seems like you just have one loss. You've got so much loss right now and change, and I can't imagine not having your daughter with you. It's awful, particularly because I've been stigmatized by a lawyer who's supposed to be a family lawyer. She has no compassion for our daughter. It's all about her client. Mm -hmm. It's about the client and children of divorce. They end up getting so hurt by not just the fact that their parents can't be together anymore and they don't understand why, and they are blaming themselves or they're trying to figure out what happened, but then to be removed completely almost from one parent that they're very close to only because of supposed mental illness. If I were so mentally ill that I couldn't take care of my daughter, I wouldn't be employed in the capacity that I am. I wouldn't be completing a doctorate. I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. I'd be dead because I would have killed myself and I'm here. I'm not going anywhere except up. But I have to keep the hope, and hope is dangerous too. Expectations are dangerous. So it is very hard, but I know in my heart that the universe will bring us back together. And it is unfortunate that we live in a society where you're not allowed to be the mad woman. You're mm -hmm. not allowed to be the creative eccentric. You're not allowed to be sad. So it's a system failure. You know, again, I would say tear it all down and rebuild it because it, it, it doesn't work for so many people. And there's so many people who are separated and they should not be just because of words on a page and language is arbitrary. 
it's uh, it's meaningless unless a group of people come together and agree that it means something. Well, that is a perfect way to end this show. Thank you so much for being on the Depression Session. Thank you, Laura. I really appreciate it. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.